The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. Hear the word of the Lord. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother in Korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about that parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're back in our Mark series, and, um, you know, this passage is really fun. Jesus, if you've, if you've ever wondered about Jesus kind of getting frustrated, this is it. This is one of the places where you see Jesus kind of express this um, real clear desire for a false message to be kind of erased and for you to understand what's really going on. And in fact, um, part of what's happening here is Jesus is confronting what people think it means to be loved by God or how to know God loves you or what it even means to have a relationship with him. You know, if you think about it, we live in a world where a lot of times things are not like they're supposed to be, right? Like things happen that aren't supposed to happen. I have an example for you. I sat on grape juice this morning. So if you see like a grape juice mark on me, it is because I sat on grape juice, right? So if your kids have sat on grape juice, now you, you can, well, Pastor Brad did it too, you know. Things are not always as they're supposed to be. Uh, in my house, if my house is like dirty, although, you know, it's not dirty. Jamie does a great job. We do a great job teaming up. Or if my house is disorganized or my, my, in my office, if it's all cluttery, it's like there's a heightened sense of kind of disorder and chaos, and those things are kind of easy to pin and, you know, identify. But you know this is true. Anytime you encounter stress in your life or disorder in your life or things like they're not supposed to be, you have a response to it, a response to an outward reality around you internally. 
Now, if you're under continued stress, your body, you experience, you know, stomach aches, or you might experience headaches, or you might struggle to sleep, or a lot struggle with a lot of other things. Now, when you experience things as they're not supposed to be, when you experience disorder and chaos, what's your response? For some, it's irritation. For some, it's anger. For some, it's anxiety. For some, it's withdrawal or rejection of other people. For some, it's getting busy and doing work. Um, what does that have to do with this? Well, Jesus is trying to recalibrate everybody's understanding of what it means to actually have a relationship with God like it's supposed to be. In Mark 7, Jesus is, is engaging in this conversation, and we're supposed to live into it. Mark is a narrative. It's a story. You're supposed to remember what happened. It's being told to you so that you can think to yourself, this is what it was like when Jesus had these conversations, and this is what he said, and this is how I can think about it. You know, culturally, we kind of miss part of what's happening. And I want to tell you that before we dive into it, what, what it is. In this culture, there had been people, and all the Jewish people who were there knew about it, who had been martyred because they would not yield to defiling themselves. Okay? So they had been told to say things or do things or eat things. They would refuse, and they had been martyred. And this was kind of a subtext of what's happening in this passage. So when they start talking about food, it's not just about, like, this immediate moment. It's not just about hygiene. There's a lot going on here. And so to kind of start us off, I want us to enter into the story. Jesus is, Jesus is with uh, his, some people. He's teaching. It's in the ancient Near East. Kind of imagine that scene. And you're standing there, and there's a bunch of people having a conversation, and Jesus is in the process of teaching. Verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. So Jesus is there, he's teaching the people, and Pharisees and teachers of the law gather around Jesus. Now, don't forget, these are people from Jerusalem. This is where Jesus is headed, right? As we move towards through the season of Epiphany and to Lent and to Easter, Jesus is moving towards this place. And for them to come meant the scholars, the best teachers of the law, the, the most respected Pharisees, they have come down to see what this Jesus and all this fuss is about. Verse 2, they see Jesus and his, Jesus' disciples eating food with hands that were defiled or unwashed. They were supposed to go through a ceremonial cleansing before they, um, before they ate, and it was a ceremonial cleansing, as we read from the Scriptures here, that was taught to them by who? By the elders. It doesn't say the scriptures taught them to clean their hands in a certain way. It says the teaching of the elders. There were additional kind of rules and thoughts about how you clean your hands and prepare, and they're criticizing. It's not that they weren't washing because they were trying to disobey God or they were ignoring Jesus' words. They simply weren't washing them according to the tradition, and this kind of set the hair up on the, on the necks of the Pharisees. Now, as Presbyterians, we understand this, right? If, you know, all Presbyterian churches aren't exactly the same. We we are committed to the scriptures in the PCA, and we're, we, we are, um, use the Westminster Confession as a system of doctrine that teaches us about the truths of the scriptures. But different PCA churches look different ways. And I've been in the PCA a while, and some churches have robes and some don't. And I've had lots of conversations with fellow pastors about if you should wear robes or not wear robes. And sometimes that gets pretty heated. You know what? My neighbors don't care if I wear robes or not. They have no interest. They don't connect that with what it means to be faithful or to, to love Jesus. Like, that's not part of the conversation. You know, sometimes we elevate conversations to a certain place where we say, this is going to be the dividing line. And Jesus has a strong reaction to such things. You see it here when they're talking about food. Washing your hands is good. Of course it is. Please wash your hands before you eat. That, that's not the point. There's something more going on here. Verses 3 and 4. 
Not only should you wash your hands according to the ceremonial way of doing so, but what else? You need to wash your cups in a certain way. If you read the scriptures there, pitchers in a certain way, kettles in a certain way. I want you to imagine you invite Jamie and I over to dinner, and I walk in and I go, hmm, um, you know, this dishwasher is looking pretty disgusting, and I really think you need to scrub it because that will show me that you're serious about following Jesus, right? You know, if you invite us over, we are not going to talk about your dishwasher unless it's broken and you want me to help you fix it. And I don't know how, but I'm willing to try with you. But, you know, we can figure that out together. Um, but they have laws for how you wash the cups and how to know if they're appropriate to drink from, how to wash the kettle to know if it's appropriate to eat from. They have all of these laws to help them understand what? If I'm being faithful, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I need an external thing out there to tell me that if I do those things, I can command God's love and I can absolutely expect it. It's not exactly, that's not exactly how it works. You know, we, we are actually a people who trust in the grace of God, put our faith in what Jesus has said, and we are welcomed into his kingdom. And the way in which you wash your hands is not part of his equation on figuring out if you belong or not. So they, the leaders come to Jesus. They ask him, why aren't your disciples washing their hands like they're supposed to? And it is not an overstatement to say Jesus snaps back. He says, uh, he jumps right in and says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. That's strong. And just in case you missed it, he continues and he quotes Isaiah where it says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And then, just in case they missed it, verse 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Now, let me explain something to you. And I will, but I have to keep going because Jesus isn't finished. This almost feels like a rant with what he's doing. Verse 9, the scriptures say, And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many things like that. He's not done, right? Verse 14, he left the crowd, enters a home. You know, or verse 14, um, again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me. Everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is saying, how are you thinking this way? And I'm going to be explicitly clear. Just in case you missed it, all foods are clean. And he takes the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament and says there's more to them than simply obeying them. They were actually meant to point to something. It's not that we disregard the entirety of the Old Testament by any stretch of the imagination. Jesus says... He doesn't come to take away anything from that. He comes to fulfill it. And in regards to these kinds of things, he's like, look, these things were meant to point you towards a need for things that are defiled to be made clean. You are defiled in the way in which you're approaching me right now. You need to be made clean. And he invites them in. So again, envision this whole experience. Pharisees casually walk up. They go, hey, they're not even observing the laws of the traditions and like the big boys are here, like we've come down and they're completely ignoring our rules. They talk about it amongst themselves. With less than 20 words, they ask Jesus a pretty simple question. He proceeds to respond with almost 200 words. This is important to him. What they're implying is getting at the core of what Jesus is wanting them to see. And it's this, 
my father is absolutely committed to you knowing my love. And it's not you that's going to be defiled. I'm going to be defiled. Jesus becomes the defiled one. Do you see that? It actually downplays the significance of what it means to be defiled with the way in which they're talking about it. Jesus himself, when he dies for our sins, becomes the defiled one and defeats death and then rises from the dead and becomes a resurrected one, the holy lamb of God. Jesus says, you've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. It isn't God you're worshiping, Jesus is telling them. You're actually worshiping your ability to obligate God to certain things by your set of rules. You've completely turned this upside down. Jesus doesn't offer a slight correction. He rewrites the script. Verse 17, Jesus in the crowd, he goes, with, he goes off with his disciples. They're asking him about, what did you just say? Like, can you clarify? Because that was a big deal. People have died for not being defiled. And you just said, like under your breath, and all foods are declared clean. Like, what is happening? Jesus' response. Are you so dull? You know, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. And saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Like, this is a really incredible statement. He's saying, how can food make you unclean? Who came up with that rule? It goes in your mouth, in your stomach, you get rid of it. Like, what are you talking about? We're talking about the heart of God. Remember the quote from Isaiah, or the heart of our relationship with God in our hearts. The quote from Isaiah, they worship me in vain, their hearts are far from me. Isn't that the whole point of what they're trying to accomplish? A relationship with who God is. See, for them, the litmus test for understanding who God is was adhering to rules, adhering to a set of ways of being. But the litmus test for understanding of who God, if you really want to understand the litmus test for your understanding of who God is, what comes out of your mouth? What comes out of your heart? What comes out into your life? Have you ever had to apologize? I've had to say this before. I didn't mean to say that. I don't know what I was thinking. Like, that, that wasn't intentional. Actually, maybe you were getting some insight into what really is going on in your heart when it's unguarded because of stress or anxiety or whatever's happening around you. I had this experience last week. Y'all know I do this, but whenever I talk about my family, I ask them first. I talk to Will about this. Um, but he went back to college last week, and I had to happen, help him pack to get his things together. And so we put all his stuff on the bed, his monitor and his computer and his clothes and stuff, and then we started taking stuff down. And on one trip up, I go, William, your monitor fell off of your bed in between the bed and the wall. You need to be more careful, dude. And he goes, Dad, you put that there. I was like, no, 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 no. I mean, like, he goes, listen, the, the, the monitor is preloaded, and if you put it down wrong, eventually it just kind of pushes itself off. And I was like, huh, I don't know. It's probably fine. It's whatever. He takes his monitor back to school. He's totally cool about it. Like, that was kind of the end of the conversation. The next day he texts me and says, hey, Dad, the monitor is actually broken. I said, oh, it's FaceTime. Show me what's up. Well, sure enough. We FaceTime, and it's just like, and I go, please turn that off immediately. Like, throw that away. <laughs> you know, it's broken. And then, about four hours later, after I kind of reflected on this, I texted him back and said, William, thanks for being gracious to me. Like, I broke your monitor. You use that for school. You use that for gaming. You use that for fun or whatever. You didn't demand that I buy you a new one. You didn't blow up or get angry at me. You didn't get irritated at me. Like, thank you for being gracious to me, and I'm sorry, and we'll figure it out. He goes, Dad, it's just a monitor. And what he was reminding me in that moment 
is that if we're not careful, sometimes we can put anything, um, we can raise something to, to the point where it's more important than actually the relationship itself. And he wouldn't do that, even with his monitor, which to you may not seem like a big deal. But for a 19-year-old young man who plays games and goes to college and stuff, it's a big deal. He was totally gracious about it. He didn't text me back and say, okay, well, so what's the plan? Where's my new monitor? Nothing. Just gracious and kind. You know, God wants us to understand that our relationship with him is the most important thing. It is more important than anything else you might put right above it. Again, when Jesus is asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He doesn't say, well, to make sure you wash your hands in a certain way and you do or don't wear robes or any of that. What does he say? Love the Lord your God with all of your being, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love one another, one, love one another as yourself. That's the starting point in thinking about what it means for us to have a relationship with God. He never wants anyone to think that there's something that you can put above his desire for peace and friendship and intimacy with us. This is why Jesus gets frustrated in this moment. He's saying, how dare you? How dare you imply that by the way in which you observe these traditions you came up with, that that's going to be used in any way for my father to determine how much he loves these people. And so he kind of, he, he rants at them and says, you need to recalibrate. You know, do you understand my love for you? And as we'll continue to see in the Gospel of Mark, and as we've seen up to this point, Jesus is inviting us to trust in him as being utterly sufficient for us understanding our relationship with God. It is the starting point. You want to know where you stand with God the Father? Where do you stand with Jesus? Do you believe that he died for you, that he rose for you, that he currently lives for you, that he invites you into an eternal reality where rules are not going to be the thing that determine if you're at peace with him, but rather his willingness to become the defiled one and to become the resurrected one and the renewed one for your sake is going to be the thing that determines your relationship with him. That is step one. In a room like this, there's people in all sorts of different places spiritually. There's those of us that have been here a while, We love Jesus, and we're trying to figure out how to follow him. There's those of you who have been raised in this church, and it's been the faith of your parents, and now you're trying to determine how much do you really believe this or where are you in the process. Do you want to know what the most important first step is for whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or you've just been really contemplating it for a couple? It is this. Do you understand God's desire for you to know he loves you? He wants you to experience his affections as a first order of business. It is not the other way around. Even so, there is this idea, and the Pharisees are tapping into it somewhat, about what it means to live in light of the fact that you're one of God's people. And that's really what they're trying to do. They're saying, if you really love God, then then this is how you're called to live. So why aren't you doing that? And Jesus is saying, if you really love God, it has nothing to do with your rules. I need you to recalibrate to my rules. So what does it mean for us to live a holy lifestyle? What does it mean for us to grow in sanctification? What does it mean to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Like, how do you become a mature Christian? Well, Jesus gives you a way to think about determining where you are spiritually. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. What comes out of us is how we're supposed to be thinking about where is my relationship with the Lord? 
You know, those things that Jesus mentions, you could fit most of those right alongside into the Ten Commandments. But really, what's I think part of what Jesus is doing there and what the Ten Commandments are calling us to do is to ask ourselves, what do we really trust in? Do we trust in our way or do we trust in God's way? Do we trust in his direction for us when we encounter disorder and chaos, our own sin? Or do we trust his way? Like, how are we going to approach who God is? It's an issue of an expression of self-trust over God-trust. Think about it. A trust in pleasure as being the most important thing in the moment instead of what God's calling us to as actually being better. A trust in reputation that may lead you to be deceitful or to envy or whatever it might be, as opposed to saying, okay, I'm going to start with this. God's grace is sufficient for me, and I'm having even trouble seeing that, but I know that it's true, and help me to live into that. Or a trust in material things instead of God's call to be grateful for what he has given us. A trust in our own abilities instead of trusting in God's promised presence and protection. This is what's difficult for us especially. You know, um, to trust in God oftentimes means that you're going to have to have faith. And what that means is that you're not always going to know exactly how every single thing works out. It's going to be a light into your path and probably not a spotlight. God's going to direct your steps. And you're, going to have, you're not going to be able to make your way through this life without having to engage with personal faith. And the only way you're going to have faith in who God is is if, is if you actually believe His ways are best and His grace is good. If you believe Jesus' words here, God is inviting you into a journey of faith that actually moves you away from human rules and traditions into following God's ways that lead to life and thriving. You see, to be defiled means to not be lovable by God. It means you have disqualified yourself from having a relationship with God. It means you're engaging in things that are saying, I don't really give a rip about who God is or what he's calling me to. But the biggest issue about it is it means I'm not worthy of God's affections in any way. Jesus is saying, my message, my grace actually does something to that defiledness and makes you my people. You know, putting your faith in my promises for you is going to bring you life. It's why Paul says in Romans 10, verse 9, if we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess that you are saved. What do we do if we discover things in our hearts that we realize this is not in sync with who God is? Or we see behaviors in our life that maybe our spouse or our friends or people around us and love us point out that we say, you know what, that's not really what God's calling me to. Is the answer for you to pick up the first self-help book you can find and find ten new rules to follow? Listen, you're not doing very good with the first ten. You don't need ten more. God is calling you to say, I've got to start here. Your grace is sufficient for me. What is the next step? Lead me. You promise in Proverbs to make my path straight if I will trust in you. I want to trust in you. Move me away from false things into true things. See, rules are easy. If you can come up with rules, essentially what you're coming up with is a series of things you can say, okay, I obeyed that, therefore, this is always true. Well, not really. Because God's approach is this. Here's my commands. Love God and love one another. How are you doing? 
Now, there's a reason why we confess our sins every single week at Grace Presbyterian Church. Because we're all so good at doing it. And we need God's grace. And the good news is He promises to lead us forward and to develop us and mature us. So, if you're mature in your faith, if you're growing in grace, the message for you this morning is to ask yourself, what rules am I raising up to find life in? What, what are those things? What are, the, what are the excuses I use to not love people? We got plenty of them nowadays, right? Politics, response to the pandemic. There's a thousand things you could come up with where we say, okay, you're either in or out. God's calling you to something better. He's saying, are you part of my kingdom or not? Is my grace sufficient for you or not? You know, if, if you're, you know, if you're a nine, you know, when I grew up in the 90s and my teenage years were in the 90s, I remember thinking to myself, okay, if I'll throw away all my hard rock CDs and I will watch and I will do my experiencing God Bible study every week, I can know that God loves me. I think God was probably like, that was a waste, but whatever, you know, maybe you feel better about yourself. What are your rules? We all have them. God is calling us to recalibrate to his goodness and his promises for us. Um, Let me read this passage to you and then we'll wrap this up. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin. It made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you this morning understand that if your hope is in Jesus, you aren't just zeroed out and okay to go about your business? If your hope is in the gospel of Jesus, you have become the righteousness of God. He has brought you into his family. Now, you're not going to be defiled by actions. Rather, you're going to be redeemed by the action of Christ. Do you see that? And yet God calls us into a holy lifestyle that learns more and more how to recognize by the power of the Spirit what it is that's bringing death and what it is that can bring life, and to move towards those things that bring life. It's why it's good for us to grow in grace. It's why it's important for us to memorize Scripture. It's why it, it's why it matters for us to ask ourselves the question, where can I follow Christ more closely now? But that's a response to answering that first question. Do I first know that I am the beloved of God, the righteousness of God? If you can't answer that first question, the second question is completely irrelevant in regards to your relationship with the Lord. And so, wherever you are, my prayer for you is, you know, Jesus is interested, passionately so, as we see in this text, at us not raising up some other standard to determine our affections for him or our relationship with him, but to start with this, where is your hope? Is it in the risen Christ? God invites you to put your trust in him. 2020 was quite a year. I don't know what 2021 holds. But I do know that God will be faithful to us, that his grace will be sufficient for us. Let's put our trust and our hope in him. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we do give you thanks for your word. We thank you for Jesus' very clear instruction to us that it's not by any sort of man-made rules or human traditions that you approach us, but rather you approach us because Christ became sin for us. And he became life for us. And that as we put our trust and our hope in him, we become the very righteousness of God. Would you give us grace to live into the reality that we are your beloved people? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.